0: Songs in the Bible, kind of the classical Christmas, Christmas songs in the Bible, but uh, I, you know, we got back from our Hawaii trip on the twenty-first, so about two weeks ago, it was it was late night, it was Monday the twenty-first. We got back at about 1.30 in the morning, and I think something happened on the twenty-second, and I don't know, maybe it was a, a Christmas commercial, maybe it was like a Christmas song on the radio, maybe I don't know, there was something about Christmas, and literally my mind triggered, and I thought to myself. Um, can we just be through this holiday already? Can we just kind of be, like, done? I was already kind of thinking past it and almost kind of semi-dreading it. And I realized that there's a a scale of holiday, of of people in this room. And I don't know where you are in this room. Is this working? (laughs) No. Shouldn't be working. you're like oh there we go there's a scale of people in this room and some of you in here are like buddy the elf and christmas is so exciting for you and you can't get enough of it and you just want to make everything christmas and put syrup on everything and and then you know i had to use the old disney Uncle Scrooge, but you know some of them are kind of more in the Bah Humbug kind of stage, and some of us we all probably operate. Now let me see where my folks are that are on the Buddy the Elf side. Don't closer. be Don. Closer. closer to Buddy the Elf. Okay, closer to Buddy the Elf. Okay. What about you on the other side of the the Scrooges? Man, what about gem- the middle? <laughs> just playing the safe in the middle. Uh, you know, here's here's what I here's what I was thinking about too with this. And I'm gonna—I I'm gonna have a point with. I know we've talked a lot about soccer over the last couple weeks and months because so many of our kids have been playing soccer. Um, and there's one thing that I love about soccer, and it's the—it's the Silent Saturday, right? We all know about the Silent Saturday, where parents—do you guys have that in baseball? Is there like silent? No. <laughs> and have you—have you done that? AYSL? Yeah, I did. So, yeah, yeah. but they didn't have Silent Saturday. There's a—there's a Saturday where you just go, and parents aren't allowed to talk. Can coaches yell? No, nothing, right? The little, little ones. Oh, the coaches can't put a little, but, but for, for bigger coaches. No. There's no yelling. There's no hysteria. There's no panic and dread. There's no anxiety of the parent coaching. You literally just sit there and you watch your kids run up and down the field. And they make a ton of mistakes. And they have fun. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't tell them which way to go, right? I If every Saturday was Silent Saturday for AOSL, so I would sign up a thousand. I love it, right? <laughs> I sometimes feel the same about Christmas, where if, if you were to, okay, you're getting deep into my soul. If you were to remove the obnoxious decorations, the corporate consumerism that the holiday has become, right, the kind of cliched and repeated Christmas songs that you hear on the radio, oh man, I could just gag over those, the jam-packed scheduling, like all that stuff. You could just have like a silent Saturday, but it's like a silent season. I would definitely then be way more on the Buddy the Elf side of things. I'd be so happy about that. So me, for me, holidays, again, probably somewhere over in this range. I'm not a Scrooge. I have four young kids. I have to have some level of enthusiasm and excitement. I at least have to fake some level of enthusiasm and excitement. But if it was more about a silent Saturday, I'd be way into it. Um, Some of us sitting in this room, you were just sharing, you know, Christmas can be a really painful time, right? I don't. Maybe you've experienced loss. Maybe there was childhood trauma during Christmas time. Maybe you're in a dark night of the soul right now. Uh, you know, maybe depression or something's really difficult in your life. And again, you're not like on the the bah humbug kind of side of things, but you're just it's it's a difficult moment for, for Christmas, right? And maybe for another person, you're like over here and you have all this excitement, but on top of all that excitement, you feel a lot of pressure. Right, there's expectations, there's demands, there's scheduling, there's there's just a lot. I mean, life is busy, right? And then you add sometimes a lot of stuff on on top of it, and it can be a lot. And again, for me, where I was thinking when I came home from from um, from our vacation, and I had that thought, I can't wait to already be through this holiday. I then thought to myself, like is there a better way to think about that? Is there a better way for me to kind of prepare my mind mentally, right? To not just, you, we always hear, not just survive, but thrive. You've probably heard that before. Not just survive December, but really kind of walk through this month with a sense of, of peace and purpose, right? A sense of, um, of calmness, of kind of perspective leading up to this holiday. And I just thought like, okay, what about if we bit off chunks of the month? the 4th, the 11th, the 18th, and then the 25th. And as we did that, we would have these moments leading up to, um, leading up to Christmas, which would be, you know, my, my mentor would use this. I love this image. My mentor would use this, this kind of image of like climbing tethering points, right? As you climb up a mountain, as you scale up a mountain, one of the things that you do is you might insert these like little kind of tethering points into the rock and then you would attach like some carabiner and some rope so that way when you if if or when you were to fall you you don't fall all the way down the mountain it kind of tethers you and you have these short falls and that's what you do as you climb up the mountain and I was thinking about this okay what about if we inserted these tethering points week in and week out and the one thing that came back and back to me again and again and again was to lead our church in a time of kind of a meditation Right we don 't we 've done this over the years, but we haven 't done this a lot over the years we 've done it kind of infrequently, but I was like, man, if we just had a time kind of a little bit of silence, a little bit of time to calm our hearts to bring some perspective it could it could create these tethering points for me it was like okay i I, want, I was looking forward to getting through the holidays, but it changed my mentality instead of looking forward to getting through the holidays. I would look forward to Sunday when I could get my heart and my mind. And my soul and my spirit kind of re-centered, re-tethered, prepared in a way. The weeks are chaotic. There's play practice. There is the demands of school. There's the demands of jobs. There's the demands of presence, of like all this sort of stuff. But I can look forward to Sunday. And I'm going to say, I'm going to get to Sunday because that is going to be a time when I'm going to just kind of allow the strength of God his spirit to nourish me back to be my breath as i move through this holiday right and that to me was really refreshing it for sure moved me from the ebenezer scrooge side of things to just like not even to the buddy the elf but almost kind of pointed me due north towards what we're really all about during this holiday which is the celebration of jesus christ of his birth so We're going to do a meditation. I'm going to do it at the end. What I've noticed as I've done meditation um, throughout the the years at this church is normally I'd open with meditation. And sometimes that gets hard because there can be a little bit of extra noise in the back from the kids. But usually by the end, the kids are out playing and we have a little bit more of a quiet time. Because I know I've led meditation here and you're kind of trying to calm and, you know, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, somebody's screaming back there. And we'll do our best with our little boys, but they won't distract. We're going to just. Yeah, we'll we'll do that. They'll be just fine. Um, but that's what we're going to do. So I want to do a short teaching, and again, we're going to talk about this morning. We're talking about Mary's Magnificat. Um, again, this Latin word it means magnify. It's part of what Mary does. My soul magnifies the Lord. Zechariah has a song. Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband. Zechariah and Elizabeth, their son is John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist and Jesus, they're cousins, right? So. You kind of have this song by Zachariah. It's called the Benedictus. Benedictus, again, means blessed, blessing. That's kind of the the, the song. These are the kind of traditional biblical Christmas songs. And then you have a guy named Simeon. And Simeon writes the nunc dimittis, which, um, again, another Latin phrase, permission to depart, you now depart. That's part of the, the, the lyrics of the song, so to speak, and I can explain that more when we get to that. But we'll work through these three songs over the next Three weeks or I guess two weeks from now, we'll work through through these songs. We'll end with a time of meditation. And then that will be, again, peace, purpose, allowing God to be our very breath, our hope, and sustain us and nourish us as we move through this month. So if you got a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be on 39 through 57. You know, I know I've I've shared this before too, but if you're using one of the the church Bibles, which the one thing I don't like about those church Bibles, they don't give like little headings, right? But kind of a little flow of Luke leading up to this point. You kind of have a little introduction, which Luke talks about why he wrote the Bible. You have the birth of John the Baptist foretold. And that's in kind of verses five through 24. You kind of have the angel coming to, to visit Mary. And foretell the birth of Jesus, uh, and that's in twenty-six through thirty-eight. And then you have um, you have that, the, those great words at the end, or great words at verse thirty-eight. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be to me according to your word. Um, then the angel left her, and then we're going to pick up the the, the kind of narrative here in, in one thirty-nine. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, family member. Um, it says in 39, at that time, Mary got ready, right? So she's been foretold that she's going to have this baby. She gets ready. She hurries to a town country uh, of Judea. When she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, again, next week, we're going to talk about this guy, Zachariah. When she got into her home and greeted Elizabeth, um, she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth... Heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you would bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill promises to her, right? So she goes kind of off to the hill country. A couple things to note here in this little passage. You know, again, she, she's kind of in this, what, what what maybe we would say is this kind of hill country hideout. She finds out she's pregnant um, and she goes there and she stays there for about three months. We learned that she's there for three months. I think it's in verse... Uh, Verse 56 at the end of Mary's song, she stays with Elizabeth's house for for three months. So she's there for three months. And you know, part of the part of the deal with her being there is is you know, she's probably in some sense pretty scared about what she's found out. Remember, the angel has just spoken to her, right? She's troubled by the angel's words, she's disturbed, which again, you would also be if that was the word. And the Torah, the, the kind of Jewish book, the Jewish Bible, the the, the the laws of the Torah, would say that a woman in her condition, right, a young woman, she's pledged to be married to this guy, and now she finds out that she's pregnant by somebody other than this guy. A woman in her condition, the law said that she could be stoned, right, stoned to death, right. So she runs away. In some senses, she's hiding. Um, she's engaged and pregnant, not married. You know, one of the commentators, I love this thought, and I just would close my eyes and think about it. It's interesting to think that Mary suffered for the Messiah long before the Messiah suffered for her, right? The Catholics obviously have a very high tradition and a high emphasis on Mary. There's something to be thought about that, the way that Mary suffers for the Messiah long before the Messiah suffers for her. You get to verse forty. And again, we learn that Elizabeth is pregnant, right? And, and if you want to read about the kind of the, the status of Elizabeth's pregnancy or how she becomes pregnant, again, one five through kind of 20, 25, you, you learn about Elizabeth's pregnancy. But she is, you know, one seven says she is well along in years. This is almost like Abraham and Sarah kind of part two when God promises to uh, Abraham and Sarah that, you know, she's going to have a baby. And what is Sarah? 90 years, 95 years, right? And it's kind of like this divine joke. So Elizabeth, right, is pregnant. I like I like kind of this, again, the symmetry. Elizabeth is pregnant long after hope had gone, right? Again, whatever age she would have been, 60, 70. Um, some people kind of put her more in that 80-year-old range. Elizabeth is pregnant long after hope had gone. And then Mary is pregnant long before she hoped, right? If you're reading this and you're reading this kind of, this contrast between Mary and Elizabeth, you know, sometimes you just read the Bible and just kind of go through it. But when you kind of slow down a little bit, and this should probably put a little bit of a smile on your face, of almost kind of the divine, I want to say joke in a sense, not like, you know, God's making fun of them, but this just kind of divine, you know, God's like saying, oh yeah, okay, so I'm going to make this woman, she's going to be pregnant when she's like 80, and this woman's going to be pregnant when she's like 13. They're going to hang out together. You're going to have John the Baptist. You're going to have Jesus. Together, it's it is this kind of divine, almost play on words, or this divine um, little comedy sketch between the two of them, as you think about the way that God is revealing His plan um, throughout humanity. So you have Elizabeth and Mary, and then this 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 great this great verse here at the end, verse forty-five, where <clears throat> Mary once again or Elizabeth says, "Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord." would fulfill his promises to her, right? Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises would fulfill his promises to her, right? And I kind of paused on this one a little bit because again, sometimes we read that spoken to Mary, sometimes it's important to allow that to speak to us, right? And you know, this is Faith has often kind of hinged on belief it 's not all about belief, but sometimes faith really hinges on belief on what we trust on what we acknowledge to be the center um, and I was almost like, blessed is Eric who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to him right and just really kind of ask myself eric like like what's what 's that look like your belief and there 's so much Stuff that's happening in our world, there is, you know, this, I don't know, economically, we keep talking about this fiscal clip that's going to come, right? The, the stock market's about to downturn. We see so much tension in the Middle East and Europe um, and the, the the war that's, we're thinking like, how could, you know, how could we do this? I think about, you know, I, I get really discouraged again about the futility of commercialism, consumerism, um, that the holiday has become all of that. You might have this this doubt or the cynicism about the past election um, or the doubt and cynicism about future elections. Um, you might really be discouraged because, you know, yesterday morning you woke up all patriotic thinking that the United States was gonna make it one more round only to have our dreams dashed. But you know, we worry about a <laughs> do we need to we can we can maybe talk about that during the prayer time. <laughs> You know, we, we worry about a lot of things and we, a lot of these things consume our minds and consume our brains and that affects us. And then you get to this, this verse 45, blessed is, put your name in there, right? Put your name in there who has believed that the Lord is going to fulfill his promises to you, right? That God is going to fulfill his promises to you. All the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering, all the separation, the racism, the election, the politics, the economics, all of that stuff that we think is the worst in the world. The Lord is going to fulfill his promise to make it all right, to undo it all, right? And really at this time of the holiday season, you know, we, we, we really, again, tether ourselves back to that hope, to that reality. Um, So then we get to the song, right? We get to the song, which is called the Magnificat. Again, magnify this this word. Um, Let's read this together. And let's read this one in the round. So read a, a line or a sentence or two, and we'll each take a turn. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mm -hmm. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has lifted up the humble. Ah, He has filled the hungry with good things, and has sent the rich away He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So the one of the things that happens when we read this poem is is if you were to close your eyes and you were to think about Mary, (laughs) we think about Mary kinda I, I just did a Google search, right, Mother Mary. We think about her, and, you know, the the lighting's really soft on her, right? So she's kind of got this little glow about her. She's innocent. She's just kind of snuggly, right? She's just got this, like, you know, here she is holding a lamb and baby Jesus. Robin, you could hold a lamb and James. Like, you could do that, too. You know, She's got some sort of, you know, she wears kind of a shawl, and she's kind of, like, really just motherly. And we think about Mary like, you know, kind of in, in really kind of soft, generic, gentle. Um, I don't know, you just, that's, the, again, if we were to close our eyes, this kind of image or this portrayal that we have of Mary is is very much in this realm. I came across this, this image and I, I really resonated over this way because it, it really kind of affected the way that I think about Mary. And I was, you know, again, kind of doing some reading. And here's this image where, um, there was actually a songwriter and he had wrote this song about, you know, the Magnificat and he has Mary and it's got this like kind of revolution feel to it I mean, she's got her fist raised in the air, she's she's standing up against the empire she's crushing that skull and I think she's surfing on a snake or maybe she's just you know, she's she's crushing the snake and she's got this, you know she's got this kind of defiant, revolutionary, um, you know, powerful stance to her that we normally don't encounter. Have fun, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Who's crying for mommy? Is that? Uh, oh, Chris is there. Chris got him. He just scooped him up like a football and he's running him into the end zone. <laughs> Um, It's got this this defiance to it, this casting down the mighty, sending the rich away, fill the hungry, lift the lowly. Thomas Cahill puts it like this as he's thinking about the Magnificat. He says, Mary's humility in this poem is hardly the humility of the meek and unassuming, which is kind of the images, again, that dominate our brains when we think about Mary. This larger-than-life song of triumph, thanking God for righting all the wrongs by making a definitive choice in favor of the powerless over the powerful. No one knows it yet, but this, but the poor, the hungry, and humiliated have won. And this unknown 14-year-old is their unexpected representative, right? It's got this, this defiance, again, this larger-than-life triumph that Mary is singing about it. And again, we kind of seeing it, no offense to Josie, it's kind of like this little girl singing, oh, you know. But really, it's got this bite and this edge to it. I don't know this, the soundtrack to it, but the it really should be like an electric guitar. That's like you know, just some real power chords, you know, something. Rage against the machine. It really should. You know what I mean? Like if he really wanted to rage against the machine, he would have he would have stole the Magnificent because <laughs> this is what it is, right? She is this peasant girl. In the corner of an empire who has been held down and suppressed. And she writes this song about casting down the mighty, the rich, the lowly, and the hungry are being lifted up. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And it's a mighty and powerful song. Right. Um, a couple other thoughts on this as we think about it. And then we'll close with some um, <clears throat> with some, some meditation. Glorify, magnify to give something an extraordinarily large place in your life. My soul glorifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And everybody does this, right? Everybody glorifies or magnifies something in their in their life. It's part of what makes us human, right? And so for some of us, it can be, I guess, kind of natural things. Family, your home, your job, your... Um, uh, kind of your status, you're just kind of who you are. You can kind of glorify and magnify that. Sometimes that really gets twisted and slanted. So for example, work, which is something that people glorify and magnify in your life, gets twisted and slanted and over-magnified and you become a workaholic, right? Sports, which is a great um, diversion and great entertainment, gets magnified, over-magnified, you know, and you become one of those guys who... You know, I don't want to make fun of the you know the crazy fans, but you know the crazy fans and it's negative 17 degrees and they're at the game with their shirts off and they're <laughs> screaming at the top of their lungs. And their whole lives, their whole lives. What's that, Isan? <laughs> yeah. Their whole lives, like, rise and fall on the success of their sports team. And you're like, oh, man, let's calm down a little bit. Sometimes it's children, health, fitness, approval, success. Again, to glorify or magnify is to give something an extraordinarily large place in your life and for Mary... She's singing this song that it was the Lord, right? It was the Lord that she glorified or that she magnified, that she spoke most high of. And, I, you know, again, this challenged me, for me, what would it be for me? You guys know this. My bike, yeah. right? My cycling. like I, I, That gives an extraordinary large place in my life. And again, I get challenged again and again. What about the Lord? Am I glorifying and magnifying the Lord in my life and giving him a bigger and bigger place in my life? Wendy, I think when you were praying, you're almost praying those words of John the Baptist where John the Baptist says, I must decrease. We have to continue to decrease so that God can increase, right? So that God can have a greater place in our lives. It's a great challenge of being a Christian. Um, I had this this little piece on, on, on fear and kind of this ancient Near East... I, I'm going to skip this. We'll have to come back to this in another year. Um, you know, fear, though, just wasn't... When we when we think about fear, it's just like, oh, you know, in, in verse 50, those who fear the Lord, we think like, oh, you know, we're, we're paralyzed. Um, it's it's for sure a higher sense of respect and regard. I was going to show a clip. One of my favorite films is The King's Speech. You guys remember The King's Speech? Jeffrey Rush... Um, Colin Firth? No, anybody? Does, like, the, stutter? Yeah. the king stutters. Yeah. And then Colin Firth comes in and is like this, um, this speech therapist. But they have this real <laughs> casual relationship, right? Um, okay, so now we're into it. Great, great film. There's a scene in the film where um, Colin, the, the speech pathologist, uh, Lionel, his wife doesn't know that she's like working with the king. And at one point, the king and the queen show up to Lionel's little flat, his little apartment. And they're sitting in his kitchen. And the wife walks in on the king and the queen of England kind of sitting in her little apartment kitchen. And the look on her face is just one of like, again, this is when I think of fear, I don't think of like, you know, sorry, Johnny. I don't think of like a Michael Myers film. Like, you know, they're freaked out of their minds. I think of walking into your living room. If you were to go home, you were to walk into your living room. And the king and the queen of England were to be sitting there, right? Those who fear the Lord, right? Verse 50 again says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That respect, that honor, that deep sense of acknowledgement of who someone is. And then one other thought here is, you know, again, this kind of exalting the humble, right? Again, from Thomas Cahill's book, he makes, has this great quote, which he calls Parthenogenesis, which is literally the you know, virginal conception or reproduction from an unfertilized ovum. You guys didn't think that you were going to learn all this stuff this morning, did you? You're going to go home. Guess what word I learned today in church? Parthenogenesis. Um, he, says it's un, he says it's not unknown in nature, though scientists tell us it's impossible in higher forms of life, such as mammals. And he says this, but it's probably no more impossible than the exaltation of the humble. I love how God speaks about the exaltation of the humble, the lowly. Those who don't have the status, those who aren't the biggest, the brightest, the best. It's always whom God chooses, right? It's always whom God chooses. Okay, one last thing that I want to say before we do a little meditation. Um, I guess my, my little interpretation on it. Because again, this is a song. Can anybody name a song that was sung to you, or that you sung to your child when they were kids? Ooh, a little Rockabye Baby. Just a classic one. Twinkle, twinkle. Hush, little baby. Jesus loves me. Ooh. Oh, Jesus answer. I like that. Go ahead. You get a gold star for that one. Sorry, ladies. you not get the Jesus gold star over here. What else? You are my sunshine. Oh. You and Robin could maybe do a little duet on the You Are My Sunshine because that was Robin's song for our girls. Molly, come on. I do not sing. What about just like a little hum to a tune or anything? Or you just shush his ear? Ronnie, you getting any jams in... For your sonar. <coughs> 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 <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> what's golden slumbers? Yeah, I don't Beatles know the Beatles song. Ah. Oh, all right, Brian. I know years ago I you made that um that cover of that Wilco song, which um oh, California, Star. California yeah. Stars. Yeah, that's right. I want to rest my head <laughs> on the bed of California Stars, and uh, I would sing that to some of my girls when they were younger. Yeah. Um, with James, it's been a little bit more of. Um, Sweet Baby James, Little James Taylor, just rock Sweet Baby James. You know, we, we sing these songs to our kids. And, and one of the things that I think is interesting about this Magnificat is that we read it as a one-hit wonder. Mary said this, and that was it, right? Probably, more likely, it was a song that she sung over and over and over to Jesus, right? It was her song that she sung to Jesus. And what's interesting now, maybe we haven't been shaped by these little nursery rhymes, but I would say, you know, if you were to sing the song over and over and over to somebody, the songs that we kind of sing, they they shape us, right? They kind of mark who we are. And I was thinking about this song in terms of who Jesus became, right? Because in so many ways, Jesus was this magnificent, right? This song that had come to life. Think about the verses in this. And think about how they're marking Jesus' life, right? He talks about the humble and the meek and the blessed. And if you were to go into the Sermon on the Mount and read about Jesus talking about who is blessed, right? Who really has the good life. It's not the high and the mighty and the rich and the powerful. It's the humble. Think about Mary singing the song again and again to her boy. Verse 49, if you were to read verse 49. Um, he has been... Uh, you know, again, this this kind of part B. Holy is His name, right? Think about singing "Holy is His name." Think about the Lord's prayer: "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be Thy name." Right, verse fifty. Again, you can just kind of go through the lyrics of this song and see how Jesus's um, Jesus was Mary's song that had come to life. Right? Again, she didn't just like, "Hey, this is a one timer," and you know, somebody happened to be standing there with a little pen and paper and scribble it down. She sang this to her son. She sang this to her son. In some senses, she's still singing it to us today. She's still calling this song to shape us and to lead us and to guide us. Um, and, and I think that would be a question. Is if you were to take some time either, either today or this week or when you get stressed or when you feel overwhelmed and you kind of pull out this Magnificent and you read it a little slowly and you allow it to kind of sing over you and allow it to shape you. Allow it to bring some new life and to bring some new words into you. How does this song still shape us today? Let's do this. Um, let's close with a little bit of meditation. I want to meditate uh, on, on gratitude on Thanksgiving this morning. In my mind, I was going to have the sermon and the meditation linked directly up. It's not going to. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. The meditation is going to be a little bit more on uh, gratitude on Thanksgiving. Um, so what I'd, what I'd ask you to do is to kind of close your eyes, uh, kind of find a comfortable position. If you want to put your Bible or or pen or pad away, it'll take, I would say maybe about five, six, seven minutes, just kind of a time to calm down, to be peaceful. Um, and so we'll just, we'll, I'm going to lead us through a little bit of a meditation, but So take a couple deep cleansing breaths. And relax your posture. Just just try and, you know, wherever you're at, kind of sink into that seat. You should be loose, but also straight. And we're not in a particular hurry here. We're we're pausing. We're taking a moment to rest and to relax. And when we think as we enter into this meditation, oftentimes there's a, there's a popular view of meditation as emptying yourself We are not about that. We are about filling ourselves with the things of God. We must decrease so that God may increase. So we're going to take a deep breath. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. And the best that you can right now, just take eight kind of deep cleansing breaths. Now I want us to begin by thinking about gratitude, being thankful, appreciation. What comes to mind when you think about those words? Is there an image? Is there a person? Circumstance. As we think about gratitude, I want you to take a moment and name five people that you are grateful for. Think of their faces. Can you think of five possessions that you are thankful for? Can you think about five aspects of faith, of your faith in Jesus that you're thankful for? Now, we're going to practice breathing here again. And what I want you to do is I want you to practice inhaling. As you're taking a deep breath in, you're inhaling, thank you, Father. Or if you would like to say, thank you, Jesus. Or if you'd like to say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Or if you would like to cycle through those. I want you to inhale, just, thank you, Father. And then as you exhale, just exhale this sense of sufficiency. That you right now in this room, at this very moment, you have everything you need. Everything you need. So take a a moment. Just inhale. Again, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Exhale just this deep sense of sufficiency, of enough, of contentment. Take a minute and do that. Thank you Father. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Holy Spirit. Paul in Philippians one of the great verses of the Bible Paul in Philippians says to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To give thanks in all circumstance. Let me ask you a question. Is there a circumstance in your life where you feel lacking? You feel diminished. You feel that something is missing. Could it be a job or a career? Could it be something in your family or a relationship? Could it be a possession or something you own? Could it even be an aspect of your faith, a season of your life? Is there a circumstance in your life where you don't feel like you have enough? And instead of longing for something else, maybe this morning God is just calling you to be thankful in the current circumstance that you're in. The current job, current family, the current aspect of your faith, current season. Again, practice inhaling, thank you, Father. Exhaling, enough, contentment sufficiency. December is a month to consume. It's a month to buy. But I want it to be different for you this year. Each day will be an opportunity not just to buy, to purchase, to click, to shop, to fret, but to consider and to create a conscious, centered gratitude. Your first step will be a step of gratitude. G.K. Chesterton would say, when it comes to life, The critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Maybe, again, there's something in your life right now that you're taking for granted. Think about that person that you've taken for granted. How can you now express gratitude to them? Think about that aspect of yourself that you've taken for granted. This is, little, this is a little different for us to think about. There's an aspect of yourself that you take for granted. Maybe you're hardworking, maybe you're creative, maybe you're sacrificial, maybe you're patient, maybe you're resilient. Again, Jesus teaches us, hey, love one another like you would love yourself. This is a part of loving ourselves. How can you be thankful for the gift that God has given you? Because we take these things for granted. God, you've given me this gift to be hardworking, sacrificial, resilient, kind, a good listener. I've taken that for granted, God. I want to take that with gratitude this morning. Let's close this time once more, inhaling, thank you, Father, and exhaling that sense of sufficiency, of enough, of completion, of having everything you need. Father, that this church would walk out into the world not taking anything for granted, but, to taking, th- but taking things with gratitude. We, we want to just we be full of thanksgiving, of appreciation. There's so, much, so many messages that tell us that we're lacking, that we don't have enough, that we're missing out, that the the satisfactory life is just around the next purchase. And we can look at those things, we can look right through those things and just be thankful for everything that we have, our homes, our cars, our families, our lives, the season that we're in, the jobs, Time to be thankful. Fill our hearts this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll do a couple songs too, and then um, we'll take Eucharist. And, you know, Eucharist is just another way to say thank you to the Lord. It's just another way to express our gratitude to him, Eucharist is a gift Um, and we just will say thank you to the Lord for the sacrifice that he made for us, his body, his blood, Um, and so at some point you can come and take the Eucharist and and really just one more time give thanks to the Lord, so Mr. Brian